Hello and welcome to the Euro What, episode number 134 for the week of November 8th, 2021. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be talking about Belarus and its history with Eurovision. How's it going, Ben? Uh, it's good. Uh, I had the opportunity to be in the Netherlands a couple weeks ago. Oh, wow. How was that? Was it a freaky trip to Rotterdam? Yes, it was a freaky trip to, to Rotterdam. Uh, did get the time to go over to the Ahoy and think about the May 2020 that was supposed to be. In general, it was nice. It was nice to be in a different place. Rotterdam is great. I like it as a city. Awesome. Yeah, were there any remnants of Eurovision, or had they pretty much swept up all the confetti at this point? They have pretty much swept up all the confetti. I, I did not see any any leftover signage. Looking ahead to 2022, we've got some national final stuff that has started trickling in, even though junior Eurovision seems to be at the front of everybody's mind. Yes, yeah, it is the nice quiet period in November where everybody is very focused on junior Eurovision, and we are not. For the little bits of kibble that we do get to enjoy, uh, Australia decides, announced their first few artists uh, that'll be competing in next February's final. Two of them are Australia alumni uh, of sorts. Isaiah Firebrace, who represented Australia in 2017, uh, will be one of the competitors. And so will Jaguar Jones, who competed in the 2020 edition of Australia Decides. Yes, I'm very excited about that that second one because I liked her song and it grew on me a lot. So I'm excited to see what she's bringing back for 2022. I like the idea of there being a returning contestant to, I don't know, learn from the previous experience. Hopefully her shoulder doesn't get dislocated this time around because that was yes. wild. So <laughs> Bringing back the selection format as every nation seems to be this coming year. Germany has decided to bring back Unserlied for Turin. The jury is going to select songs from the public submission process, uh, and there will be a national final sometime in March with, with the public choosing a winner. I don't know what else Germany can do at this point. They seem to be tr trying everything, and everything sort of works sometimes, except when it doesn't. Except when it doesn't, because then it really doesn't. Yeah, so they're they're kind of, they're, they're trying some new stuff because the stuff they've been doing hasn't been working. So, I mean, they had been doing like an internal, essentially an internal Unserlied, so bringing it back to the public probably can't hurt. I don't know, if they can make the format a lot less convoluted, where they had like seven different types of jury, each getting equal amounts of voting, and yeah, there was just a lot of voting in their process, and maybe if they can remove a couple of the layers, maybe they'll find some gold. Yes. I don't know, let's just call this Ben's American Song Contest Speculation Checking Corner, uh, because there was news, or at least there was news out of one of my non-Eurovision circles, where I was just like, what? The American Song Contest might be happening in early 2022 now? feel like every time we check in, they're like, yeah, it's happening late 2022, but then why are they getting artists now? Uh, but I'm wondering if NBC is positioning this as, like, post-Olympics programming. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I, don't like, I don't like that at all. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to imagine what their schedule is looking like. But yeah, like, the Olympics are, what, February? The Olympics are February, and they want to keep eyes on NBC so I could see. And like they've done things like around the holidays or in the spring where they've done like two weeks. Here is a program like the sing off or making it where I could like they have said it's going to be 56 entries over multiple weeks. Whenever we get the American Song Contest, two weeks is multiple weeks. The main reason I saw this is that they were saying that the winner may attend Eurovision 2022, not in like a competitive sense, but they want to they want to have like that global branding. Don't they know that we're busy at that time? Like, I, am, I am booked and busy in March. I am already watching 37 national finals that are happening in the first two weekends. 
Not now, NBC. Not now. We'll see if anything gets finalized, because I, I follow yes. a lot of like, TV news sources that uh, like are not Eurovision adjacent and have not really been seeing much coverage of this. And that, that seems like a big schedule chunk. Yeah. Unless it's taking like the spot of the voice. That seems dubious. Christer will get stuff done. We we yeah, he, we he, know his mo. Very, so <laughs> he, he is very good at getting stuff done. So it is probably happening at some point. But whether uh, whoever the winner is pops up in Turin for like a fun little awkward host segment uh, remains to be seen. <laughs> the awkwarder, the better. Uh, <laughs> something that is definitely going to be happening is the ESC Top Two Fifty. Voting for that just opened and will be open until December 5th. All you have to do is go to songfestival.be and you can cast your vote for your 10 favorite Eurovision songs of all time. Do you think Euphoria is going to get knocked out of the top spot this year? Absolutely not. <laughs> I am I am mostly in this for seeing how far up the chart we can get Yadon Don this year. Mm, yeah, whereas I am very curious to see where Sugar ends up. I have a feeling... There's going to be a lot of shock on New Year's Eve day. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I do not doubt that Philip Kirkorov will hire a botnet of some sort to to goose that poll. Mm, yeah, I, he, he he may not have to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. not, not, okay. not tipping my ballot, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. It has become just a beautiful meme. Yes. So, got a month to get your votes in. The countdown happens on New Year's Eve day, so December 31st, with the uh, number one song selected by fans uh, dropping at around midnight uh, Central European time. So it's a good way to bring in the new year, uh, especially for those of us in the States, because it usually wraps up around 6, 630 uh, Eastern time. So you can get your New Year's Eve festivities ready uh, as it's playing in the background and then have a really fun new year. Exactly. Speaking of holidays, uh, this past weekend was the Belarusian holiday, uh, October Revolution Day, uh, which was established in the 1920s to mark the Bolshevik Revolution. Obviously, it's lost some significance after the USSR dissolved in 1990, but no one wants to give up a bank holiday, you know? So mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it's gone through several rebrandings including marking the liberation of Moscow from the Polish-Lithuanian army back in 1612. Belarus still observes the day, and Alexander Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, says the holiday strengthens social harmony. I think there's a lot to unpack in all of this, and we can probably do it in a Eurovision contest. So... Shall we discuss this? <laughs> yes, I was about to say that that's exciting. We can discuss this in the in a Eurovision context because this is a Eurovision podcast. Surprise, everyone! This is a Belarus podcast. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of rebranding, uh, so <laughs> uh, but before we get into the nitty gritty of uh, this week's topic, what do you know about Belarus? Okay, so I'm going to be a real ray of sunshine over here because I have been reading a lot about Chernobyl recently, as one does. And in particular, I know that Belarus was particularly hard hit because 70% of the fallout, once the wind shifted towards Belarus, went to Belarus. So they've been kind of hard hit since about 1986 with that. Uh, in terms of the Eurovision context, for a long time, I had one of the instrumental breaks from I Love Belarus as a ringtone on my phone. Really? Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, any, anything else? Um, I mean, I feel like... 
since debuting at Eurovision, they've been kind of contentious because we had a, a whole scandal this year, and it wasn't like the first time we've had a scandal with the Belarusian entry. Mm-hmm. So, like that—that that is my expectation is that it, is that they are tiny but chaotic. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That I don't know. This was a really interesting one to do research on. Like for for one reason, it really reminded me a lot of Albania's story when I was researching Albania uh, for that episode last year. Geographically speaking. Belarus is a landlocked country uh, with Russia to the east, Ukraine to the south, Poland to the west, and Lithuania and Latvia to the north. Aside from Latvia, all of the neighbors have owned all or part of Belarus throughout the area's history. Uh, So you can start with uh, Kievan Rus, which is kind of like proto-Ukraine. First held the area from about the 9th century through the 13th century, so a long time, a long, long time ago. The Mongols came in in the 13th century, ultimately allowing for the Grand Duchy of Lithuania to absorb a good chunk of the Belarusian area. Lithuania and Poland merged into a unified kingdom in 1386 and would stay that way for about 400 years. Uh, Russia would come in from time to time to kind of chisel away eastern parts of the Belarusian area, and it moved in to absorb everything when the Lithuania and Poland unification broke up uh, in the late 1790s. At this point, Russia's in charge. The Russification of Belarus uh, was in full swing and really tried to eliminate anything that would establish like non-Russian language, any non-Russian customs, any non-Russian culture. They were trying to make Belarus fully part of Russia. This continued through the early 1900s when Germany invaded and occupied the territory during World War I. Uh, Towards the end of the war, Belarus tried to declare independence and become the Belarusians' People's Republic. This was Belarus's first rodeo to be an independent country, despite having a very long history as an area. And the effort to establish independence just fizzled after only about a year. The people in charge only knew czarist styles of governance, and there was also the Bolshevik revolution happening next door. So there just was not any sort of political infrastructure to allow for a new country to form for Belarus. So by 1920, the Russian parts of Belarus formed into a Soviet socialist republic, and by 1922, Belarus was one of the founding members of the USSR. The parts of Belarus that weren't in the SSR were absorbed back into Poland and Lithuania. So again, kind of being traded among all of the neighbors and just being this kind of crossroads area for Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. And because of this, World War II was especially harsh for Belarus. Germany's invasion of Poland, which was the flashpoint for the war, means that Belarus was the only significant buffer between German-occupied territory and Russia. Uh, Minsk was almost completely destroyed during the war. 2.2 million people were killed, and the population didn't fully recover to pre-war numbers until the early 1970s. Like, Belarus was thoroughly... Was a very hard hit, yes. Yeah, so after the war, Stalin's focus for Belarus was uh, militarization and industrialization, but there was just always this looming issue that Belarus was the Western buffer if things got real. So along with the general not-greatness of the Soviet era, as you mentioned, Belarus was hit really hard by the Chernobyl disaster. 
it wasn't just because of the wind shifting, but like Chernobyl's only about 20 kilometers from the border with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And a- as you mentioned, 70% of the radiation from the disaster ended up in Belarus. So kind of a rough go for close to a thousand years. Yeah, just like not having a great time as a country. Things did start to look up as the USSR started dissolving. Uh, Belarus split off in 1991 and tried to have another go at being an independent country. They were able to start establishing a constitution, which was enacted in 1994. This is when they had their first presidential election, which is when Alexander Lukashenko came into power. One of his first actions was to amend the constitution to allow an extension of his presidential term. And this allowed for power to consolidate, and he was reaching out to people for advice, such as Milosevic over in Serbia after the whole Kosovo war, and other players that are just not great. So it's already turning into a somewhat dicey situation. In 2004, there was a referendum to try to eliminate term limits, and that went through. So Lukashenko is continuing to consolidate his power and using democratic processes that are viewed by international election monitors as not being free or fair. Although Belarus is technically an independent country right now, it's still under a dictatorship system. Is it bad that my reaction to the sentence, Belarus is an independent country, was to go, is it? Again, I'm reading a lot of Chernobyl stuff right now, and the, the book I'm currently going through is a bunch of oral histories, which is great. But the intro, which was written in 2005, is saying, back in 1996, Alexander Lukashenko was the lesser of Europe's last two dictators. Now Slobodan Milosevic is on trial at The Hague, and Lukashenko has pride of place. And again, this is in 2005, so uh, it's now 2022. Yeah, A lot has changed. A lot has not changed, unfortunately. This is also around the time that Belarus starts entering Eurovision. Uh, Belarus makes its debut at the 2004 contest in Turkey. And this was part of one of the last waves of new countries making their debut at Eurovision. Along with Belarus, you had Serbia and Montenegro. Uh, Ukraine was there for their second visit. Monaco was back after taking a very long hiatus. Albania is also uh, in the mix there. And this is also when the semifinal format is introduced. So all of these new players actually get to compete in the semifinal in hopes of making it to the final. Belarus's first entry is My Galileo by Alexandra and Konstantin. And it does not hit. Finished 19th at the semifinal. It was in the two spot, and it also didn't really have much of a hook or anything. It was a totally fine performance, but nothing particularly memorable. Belarus did not advance to the final, and would not advance to the final until 2007 with Dmitry Holden's Work Your Magic. This is a Philip Kirkorov production, and you can definitely feel the PK influence behind it. Just like... That PK touch. Yes, yes. Like, a lot of bombast, people floating 
above the stage with various stage prop trickery. It's kind of a fun performance and it has been stuck in my head. As annoying and problematic as Kirkorov can be, he really knows how to build an earworm. So (laughs) it's so far their best performance at Eurovision. It finished sixth overall and it seemed like Belarus might be turning a page at Eurovision. The next couple of years just don't go all that well. They, again, do not make it out of the semifinals to the point where in 2010, Lukashenko steps in. He's just not impressed with BTRC, which is the state broadcaster, and threatened to move the organization of Eurovision to a different network. This network, ONT, actually started planning for Eurovision and was looking for songs for either a solo male or a six-woman group. That seems like two (laughs) very different styles of song, but... Just, just my my brain just immediately just starts making a tweet of just like yes the two genders man or six women but the thing is like ONT they're not EBU members so they're not allowed to use any of the Eurovision branding so even if it was a case of ONT holds this contest it could not officially be a Eurovision selection thing unless BTRC was just like fine whoever wins this talent competition or whatever song you end up picking I guess we'll send it that's not what happens. And it ends up being butterflies by three plus two. Which I remember seeing this for the first time at the 2010 contest and was like, oh, this feels like <laughs> such a cliche Eurovision ballad yes. entry. <laughs> the second you said butterflies, my brain pulled it up. It's like, no. With the butterfly wings popping out in, uh, in the back at the very end. Yep. It's just like, oh, it made me mad. But it did qualify. It it didn't impress in the grand final. It, it Finished toward the bottom of the scoreboard, as it should have. Anyway, uh, (laughs) in 2011, that's when we get the song, I Love Belarus. There's still issues with BTRC as the organizer of the contest, although since they got to the final uh, in 2010, things have calmed down a little bit, but Lukashenko is still heavily invested in how Belarus is doing at Eurovision. And originally, the song that was selected for Anastasia Vinikova was called I Am Belarusian. It had a lot of lyrics that were referring to Belarus's history and naming a lot of countries that don't exist anymore or their former names of countries that have since changed. Eurovision is very particular about this sort of thing. I believe it also uh, was an issue in Dustin the Turkey's performance, and I think a couple of the other songs that you highlighted in the last episode, where they're just naming place names, where you have to use a politically accepted place name if you are referring to another place. This song was referring to the USSR by the name USSR, even though Russia is not called that anymore. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) that, along with just some of the general messaging in the song, was like, you need to rewrite this. Eurovision's not going to accept this one. And they had a weekend to turn the song around, and that's how we got I Love Belarus.
I think the video and the revised version of the song really turned things around. Like, I, I think it was much better than what was originally submitted. And the iconography that's in the video, they're really bringing in this Belarusian culture with the dancers and the yep. costuming. And it's like, oh, this is really cool. And none of that makes it onto the stage. Like, it, it was a very dull performance, I thought. Yeah, because I, re- I remember the video. And again, it, it p- is pulling in all of this iconography. And there was just none of that when it got to the stage. The vocal was fine, but there was just no no real concept going on it. And it just got lost in the shuffle and did not advance. People did not love I Love Belarus, unfortunately. So the next time that Belarus actually makes it to the final is in 2013 uh, with Eliona Lanskaya's Soleo. I still do not get that song. (laughs) I think part of the reason that it ended up getting through was that it was one of the few party tracks in the 2013 contest, (laughs) which I think was a very smart play. Like, I I think Mm -hmm. the 2013 contest was definitely one that is, I don't know, this. And that seems to be where Belarus tends to shine. Yes. Yeah, because I remember that one definitely standing out at the time. I, I also share your not quite getting it. 2014, got to the final again with uh, Teo and Cheesecake. That's another one where it's like, I don't get this. 2014 is just such an interesting year. There was something for everybody at the 2014 contest, which I think is the other side of the coin of, I don't know this. Something for everybody, and sometimes that something is a twerpy hamster date. At this point, it seems like, oh, Belarus has figured stuff out and is bopping along at Eurovision. 2015 happens and they don't make it to the final. Their uh, staging, again, just doesn't really have it. It's kind of just singing in front of a screensaver, which you see from time to time. 2016 was Ivan with Learn to Fly. He was supposed to be naked on stage with wolves. And yeah, so they were they were able to drum up a lot of PR ahead of time. But then It was just a video thing and also something that I think people were still just genuinely weirded out by the whole idea. (laughs) The vocal was not there. Like, he was just so nervous and sounded kind of terrified through a good chunk of the performance, which is understandable. But yeah, just was not able to get through. 2017, I think this one was had the potential of being a major turning point for Belarus at the contest. Uh, This was Navi Band and Story of My Life. And that was the first song to be sung in Belarusian at the contest. It's such a joyful song and performance. That is one of the two Belarusian entries I keep going back to. I think part of the reason that it goes over so well was, like, since that was a contest that was in uh, Ukraine, there was a lot of Belarus in the room. So a lot of the home team uh, uh, cheering on. Uh, It is a solid entry. And, like, they're just such a delightful couple delivering that performance. So, like, yeah, just absolute joy. It gets into what I think Belarus struggles with 
overall in that there's just not a Belarusian identity or brand at this point. And like, it's weird to think about that. Like, there are so many other issues going on in Belarus right now with human rights violations and all of that, that it's just like, oh, think, thinking of the brand, like it just sounds so like capitalist and gross. But I think part of the overall struggle with Belarus is since it's taken so long for the country to be like an independent country or like really unified around an identity, that's not present at Eurovision. And it doesn't seem to be really present at the world. Like, what does it mean to be Belarus? I think that's the thing that I've been thinking about the most in reading up on all of this the last couple of weeks, just like, oh yeah, there's just like, what is the Belarus identity? And I think, I think 2017 is where it gets closest to answering that question. 2018, they just kind of go back to this well of picking the wrong type of song for that year. Like 2018 was supposed to be a party year and they send the dirge where the guy is shot with an arrow at the end of the performance. So it's like, yeah, not not really reading the room there. 2019 was the last time that they got to the final with Zena's Like It, which, I mean, 2019 was another I don't know this type year. And I think that song fulfills that brief uh very yes. very easily <laughs> so i think 2020 would have been an interesting year for belarus just before recording i was listening to val and davidna and there's just this somberness that i think was going to be an underlying theme of the 2020 contest had it happened i think they would have snuck into the final and it would have been really satisfying that is the other belarusian entry i listen to a lot Something about that song is just such a good vibe. And it's such a pretty vocal. Like, there, there's just a lot of a lot of elements to like about that one. 2020, the contest obviously doesn't happen. But there is another election. This would have been uh, the sixth election, I think, for Lukashenko. As expected, the results are rather dodgy. He declares himself the winner, uh, even though there is strong opposition and there were massive protests following the election. It's been a crisis in Belarus. Like it, It's really been a lot of the right-wing power consolidation that's been happening in a number of countries. Any media that is not favorable toward the administration is just considered false or an actor from the West. It's just been a very dicey situation. Amongst those active protesters are both Navi Band and Val. It's looking really bad over there right now. A disputed election was not going to prevent them from participating in Eurovision 2021. What did prevent them was the selection of Galas Zmesta's initial song, I'll Teach You, which is a reference to a phrase used by police in Belarus. Galas Zmesta is a band that was formed in response to the protesters in favor of the government and kind of mocking the protesters. Just the selection of that band, it's just kind of like, mm, okay. And then, yep. yeah, and then the song that they initially submitted was considered way too political for Eurovision's taste. So they're just like, nope, you have to uh, submit a new song. Their replacement song was called Song About Hairs, which, along with the right-wing political messaging, uh, threw in some homophobia just because. Yeah, Eurovision was just like, nope, we're not doing this. So Belarus was disqualified. 
And in the months since, BTRC, the broadcaster that had the EBU membership, was pretty much just becoming a mouthpiece for the Lukashenko regime. The EBU has suspended their membership, and there's not any other media outlet that isn't BTRC in Belarus. So there's just no EBU connection right now. So Belarus will not be at Eurovision for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's an indefinite suspension. I wasn't sure how how this one was going to end necessarily. It's just kind of like a status of where things are at in Belarus right now. And as you mentioned, like it is the last dictatorship in Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any questions? Not really. Like I I I, I kind of expected this one to be a little bit of a bummer. And yes, yeah. I keep thinking about the identity issue, and with the protesters, I feel like the goal is for there to be a declaration or just like a cementing of like what it means to be Belarusian. Yeah, of like actual national identity. Yes, and I think some of the songs that have been sent to Eurovision, like even even I Love Belarus, even though that sounds like a very jingoistic, like it, like it sounds like it's something that the government commissioned rather than like uh, a sentiment from the songwriter, that song was would have marked the 20th anniversary of Belarus as an independent country, which that's a very short amount of time in the Belarusian history that it has been like Belarus, you know? <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. I'm kind of rambling at this point, but it, it's just there's there's been a lot to think about with this and and thinking also of just how much this relates to Albania and how that country was so shut off from the rest of the world. And when it finally emerged, there was so there was so much of interest coming from that. Uh, and I'm, I'm I'm hoping that Belarus is going to be able to have that same sort of emerging manifest destiny is that the is that the phrase that i'm looking for something like yeah Yeah. something that that it will okay i I have like a very hackneyed metaphor here okay that you're gonna grow up is that they're going to emerge from this chrysalis as a butterfly (laughs) i told you fair enough and i hate using the phrase fair enough but from my end i think it has been very heartening given the given my growing awareness of the situation in places like belarus to see artists like Naviband and Val as part of the protests mm-hmm. and see that th- there is like an active movement from the people that they want this independence. They want to d- establish their own identity. And that part of that identity is just being able to have the power to choose their government and choose how their day to day works. Yes. We're thinking about you, Belarus. I think I, th- I think that's maybe the the conclusion here is just like we we know that things are really bad right now, and like we're really hoping that change will will happen. Yes. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Uh, thank you for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. You can follow the Euro What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. If you'd like to support the show, we are also on Patreon at patreon.com slash eurowhat. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at eurowhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at eurowhat on Twitter, or you can email eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. Next time on the Eurowhat, we get ready for Thanksgiving by reevaluating some of the turkeys at the bottom of the Eurovision scoreboard. <laughs>